0: hey everyone it's Marvin thanks for listening to the good pop culture club uh If you're an avid listener to the podcast from the Potluck Podcast Collective, uh, you may know that for the duration of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, uh, we've been doing a bunch of show swaps between our shows to um, better promote our fellow Asian American podcasters. And this being the last day of APAM, uh, we want to get one last swap in. So we're dropping in the latest episode from our fellow Potluck Pod. First of all, uh, hosted by Minji Chang, who has been a longtime colleague of mine. We used to work together in collaboration, and we still do a lot of Asian American um, entertainment advocating together first of all is Minji's podcast where she takes an unfiltered look on career family love and modern culture and the episode we'll be sharing is her conversation with Adele Lim the director of the upcoming Asian American comedy road trip film Joyride as well as a co-writer of the hit 2018 film Crazy Rich Asians it's a fun conversation um, that goes deep into Adele's history in the film industry and why it's important to just be yourself if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to First of All and check out the other great podcasts on the Potluck Podcast Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. So yeah, please enjoy this episode of First of All, and we'll be back tomorrow with our May edition of Do We Want This? for Good Pop. Thanks for listening.
1: You're listening to... Whoa. Potluck. Potluck.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family relationships and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor and producer and filmmaker here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. How are you doing? Sorry for rushing through that. I'm In a very interesting creative phase where I'm evaluating the show. And I know that it's not customary to change a show in the middle of a season because we're like only halfway through season four. But here we are. And it's my show, so I might just do it. And that includes the intro. So, yeah, that's kind of why I rushed through. But welcome back to the show, friends. Happy to have you here. What a time to be alive. Um, Quick update. If you haven't been paying attention, this is very big in my universe um, we are in the middle of a WGA strike the Writers Guild of America and there's a lot happening in the entertainment scene that is relevant to our guest is relevant to my life but um, a couple people had actually asked me if the strike was affecting me it's affecting the entire industry because there's so much that's kind of just screeched to a halt and it is kind of this on-ramp because in a very interesting timeline, the Screen Actors Guild and the Directors Guild strikes are potentially coming up and they are look li- looking likely because there's just all these contracts that are expiring and a big evaluation of how these contracts and these deals are negotiated and how people are credited and what they are compensated is all under the microscope. And I think it's a really interesting time, especially in the grand scheme of things where everything is changing so drastically. It's completely appropriate for this evaluation and for this conversation and for this negotiation to happen because the way that we create, the way that we consume and the way that we preserve and archive and then repurpose and regurgitate and reuse content, which I hate that freaking word because a lot of it is works of art. It's the things that we create. Um, It's all changed. It's so different is different now than even like five years ago, right? The amount of platforms, the way that things are streamed, the, th- the way things, you know, exist, come and go. And I've known from my side of being in the entertainment industry, the way that I have through diversity initiatives, through meeting every creator under the sun from, you know, a writer to set and crew to the executives who greenlight things to the cultural teams that are multicultural marketing teams that are pushing it out there. PR, everything. I've been so lucky to know and explore and understand this crazy universe from a lot of different angles. Nothing is the same. And everything, it's the complete Wild West and it has been. So in light of that, I think um, what the writers are demanding, which I'm so thankful for, um, is is appropriate, is reasonable, and it's timely. And for me, I've definitely begun this writer's journey. I made my first short film that I, no, it's technically my second, but it was the first short film that I wrote and acted in and that got into a film festival. That was a couple of weeks ago. Being in that journey, watching and knowing what is like ahead of me and what options are available to me that I do want to join the Writers Guild and partially not only the reason why I stand in solidarity with the WGA strike um, it's been really, really eye-opening. And I've been part of a writer's group. Shout out to the Deadline Junkies. I've been part of this writer's group for just under a year now, uh, for about 10 months. And it has been, like, I I was in learning mode and data research and information gathering before, but now I've just, like, dived in, spend a lot more time with writers. And the way that writers' brains work, the amount of work and the amount of creativity that goes into making the worlds that literally everything else is built off of is insane it is absolutely mind-boggling and so i think i hope that the strike is just drawing attention and i think it has it's really wonderful to see how supportive people are um i've been out picketing a few times already just you know to stand in solidarity and spend some time and get some steps in and use my very loud voice for a reason um the support has been really, really cool to see. And I do hope that the world in general respects the works of creatives. And yeah, there is a complete abstract part of it. And there's a complete technical part of it. And there's just a grit and discipline and getting work out even when you don't have that pure inspiration. And it is a lot of work. And it is what everything else hinges off of. It's it's insane. And there's something very human and soul-driven and brilliant and weird and entertaining about what our minds come up with based on our different experiences. So shout out to the writers. So much love for them. Honestly, I'll say that as an actor. I think actors and directors and whatnot can get a lot more credit than or like it's an imbalance of credit. There's so many more people that are involved in creating film, TV. Um, There are people that write books and people that write fanfic and like so many other parts of creativity that go lesser celebrated so I'm starting off this episode by creating space for that because holy crap so much respect for those who do this work and also from the perspective of someone who's been hustling her ass off for like 15 plus years now and understanding every day the exhaustion and the hopelessness and the lack of credit and the lack of visibility and um, what's demanded of a creative to just like, you know, turn on a switch that you can't always just turn on and you have to deliver and execute. It's a beautiful life. Like I I honestly can't see myself doing anything else. I um, don't want to. <laughs> but it's just, it's all the things it's a privilege, it's, it's an honor, and it's a complete grind that I think it's not for the faint of heart. And giving adequate sustainability in terms of just being able to live and not stress every freaking day when you're already juggling the disappointment of your parents and whether you can like eat something besides ramen, which is like potentially giving you cancer and killing you from inside. I'm saying if you eat that all the time every day and nothing else, you know, get a vegetable and those things like just surviving alone. And so many people can relate to that, not just creatives, but so many people can understand having enough Is like, honestly, a lot of what people are asking for. They're not asking for yachts. They're asking for rent money. They're asking for proper credit. And a lot of people benefit off of the work of these people that not getting even the bare minimum is just, it's unacceptable. So in that, I'm really, really happy that people are yelling back, talking back, writing back. Um, donating back like there's a lot of different things that are happening on the ground and it's really inspiring to see it's uncomfortable there are tensions all across the board and it's just something we'll have to deal with i think this is an inherent part of that change so love to the writers we have the actors sag after and the dga the directors guild our negotiations are up very very shortly so very sooner rather than later there may be a convergence of other contracts, other strikes happening. And I do think this is just, I don't know, somebody in astrology, can you tell me, is this what was this written in the stars that this was supposed to happen? Because my friends tell me that 2023 was going to be a motherfucker of a year. And I think we're definitely there. And yeah, I don't know. So and so, you know who you are, you called it. So um, that being said, I'm really excited to get into this conversation with our guest this week, Adele Lim. Adele is a Malaysian immigrant of Chinese descent. She's a screenwriter and director. She has over 20 years experience working in network drama and features and feature animation. And you might know her work from a little movie called Crazy Rich Asians. She also wrote Raya. And this is her directorial debut that's coming out this summer called Joyride, which is the most insane ridiculous, horny, like just fun film that I had the privilege of watching at South by Southwest uh, earlier this year in March. And I just had the best time. I felt so liberated. I'm probably gonna say this word a million times in this combo, so apologies in advance. But no, I'm not sorry. But I did feel liberated and just like riled up in the best way. And I felt so much freedom in seeing very talented Asian-American actresses just be ridiculous and to be naughty and to be silly and to be a mess. And for someone like me that's still struggling with this whole, you know, internalized programming of always having to be the perfect cookie cutter version of myself, the best version, the the prettiest version, the smartest version— it is so it's such a breath of fresh air. It's just like letting your hair hair down taking your bra off and, you know, taking off tight pants at the end of the day is great. You know, you know the feeling if you know, you know. Um, and so Adele is here to talk about that film. Um, not to not talk about the film, actually. She can't and she won't. Um, but she's here to talk about herself. And I wanted to get to know Adele on deeper level. Ever since I met her um, in 2018 when she was promoting Crazy Rich Asians, and she was a very significant part of bringing that adaptation of the book to life and getting to witness her journey has been really, really cool. So I'm so excited for her to bring her fire, her energy to this conversation, to first of all, and to share a little bit about herself and our collective message that in all the different things that we're juggling every single day and all the different versions of ourselves— It is also important to let ourselves be a mess. Just be messy. Just be yourself. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to just be a human being. And that means you don't have to be perfect all the time. I know that that is a conversation I have had. I will have continuously here as long as we have a microphone and a podcast. And I do hope very much that you enjoy this episode with Adele Lib. Oh, you let yourself stuff. go be a mess yeah, enjoy
0: I don't know what you're saying though mm, don't you know? yeah came in 88 with a dream oh so bright eyed they knew right away sick of swim there's no lifelines Bright-time. cutting the teeth on the move <laughs> nobody's welcome
2: to too. first of all Adele how, how are you
1: thanks so much for count. having me I'm good I'm good I can't
2: believe like I met you years ago in Austin I think that was the first time I actually got to meet you
1: was that the first time was it Austin I think so. I
2: think okay. I think we've been in the same rooms before. But I think that's yeah. when I first got to say hello and, like, first get to know you.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was a mess in Austin. It was, like, the first press thing we'd ever done for Crazy Rich. Uh-huh. And Austin was amazing. The movie hadn't even come out yet. And, like, the Austin Asians were like, we're going to throw you a big, huge party, um, sight unseen. And you show up. And everybody looked amazing. and I was there, like, looking like trash.
2: No, you did not. But I have everybody. photos. No. <laughs> You looked amazing. That was really a great day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so glad to meet you because I was I I'd had, I had been so lucky because of John and like we had connected from a conference. That, oh, I'm actually wearing the sh- the shirt. It's the Empower Conference. Yeah, but um, John um had invited me to an early screening, so I actually was like one of the lucky ones to see it. So I was like, how did they do this? I'd read the book, so I was already like a fan of yours, and I was just uh-huh. like, they did such a good job.
1: Oh, yeah, no the it was just one of those really magic occurrences that never ever happens. Like, i I was working in one hour network television before that. Uh-huh. And John Chu and I met because we had done a we sold a pilot together about dancers for Fox and Love he it. Has, you know his whole like dance directing background. I you know was wanted to be a dancer for the longest time was in dance <laughs> um, and you know, and I was a long time TV writer, and so we had this pilot, which we loved. And we sold the pilot, but it didn't get picked up to series. But we had such a great time working together, so that when he was tapped for Crazy Rich, you uh-huh. know, and script he read it, and he was just like this, you know, this needs a really specific point of view. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he pulled me in, and I'm very lucky he did.
2: Well, I it's not. I don't think it's. I'm a very big like believer of like there's no such thing as luck. It's well, there is luck, but I really think luck happens because you're ready for it. Like it's the whole opportunity yeah. meets. Your readiness and and you were so well poised for that because I feel like there was such I was not expecting to be that moved by crazy rich I was very like excited for it It was like a meaningful milestone. Um, I enjoyed the book I was like this is a wild ride so it's going to be definitely a fun movie. But there was a lot of depth to it. You know what I mean? And like, when I found out you were the one who created the mahjong scene, right? Is that
1: right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, no, I, thanks tears. for saying that. Oh, thank you for saying that. No, you know, because... You know how it is. Like if you, you know, growing up in our culture and I grew up in Malaysia and, yeah. it, and I didn't come to this country until I was 19. And so I didn't really realize how big a difference there was between like Asians in Asia mm-hmm. and Asians growing up in America, where, you know, a lot of our culture is so sidelined because when mm-hmm. I was growing up, like Chinese New Year, is like a two week affair where the whole town gets <laughs> shut down and, you know, like all our festivals and our things are all celebrated and yeah. You know, Parties and it's like it's a fun thing yeah over here um I, it took me years to kind of realize that um the american the, the american general audience had this idea of what being asian is if they weren't asian mm-hmm. that you know it's all like very that we're very socially conservative and all about honor and yeah. you know everything is serious and yeah Again, I grew up in one of those families where it's like, you know, it's like gambling, mahjong, smoking, (laughs) you know, a kid's playing like blackjack at like six years old with real money. And you know, and but also that really close family, um, you know, togetherness where it, you know it's where it's not seen as a negative, where it's not about mm-hmm. taking away from you individually. It's really about you know giving you a community. Yeah, so being able to put all that um, you know on top of the amazing material in Kevin Kwan's book was was just such a. a, a breath of fresh air for me having worked in one hour network television before that you know we got to write about our aunties and our people and our experiences
2: exactly and I think that's the thing that I'm continuously learning as I'm entering into like the writing and filmmaking world there's nothing that compares to like having source material from like from the subject matter expert from the person who knows that that's what brings the depth and the nuance and the universality because it's so specific because it's like true to like what we experience and like what the relationships are like, because it's not this kind of glossy version. And this like, that's how I felt about a lot of scripts, obviously as an actor, like reading all these scripts about strong women, but it's to me, I was like, this feels like a cartoon version of a strong woman. And I appreciate it because they're trying and it's better that someone's trying than not trying, but it just didn't feel like it didn't click quite. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's something missing here.
1: No. And you, you, you bring up a really astute point, which is, you know the point of view of the character and where that character is come where that character uh, is coming from mm-hmm. because you know we want to see more positive representation out there we want to see characters who are strong women but Sometimes they're written, you know, and, and maybe you have the same reaction to when you see it on TV or you see on the pages. like, I'm a strong woman, I don't like men tell me what to do, you know, like it, it's this weird bratty kind of, you yeah. know, insufferable take yeah. to it, like actual strong women, I know, don't go around their day waking up you know telling men that like, you don't get to be the boss of me like it's still from an outsider point of view mm-hmm. uh, and it's same with writing for our culture uh you know because it goes into a larger discussion of do you have to be Asian to write an Asian story like right. you know, and, and I, I no, no you don't like if that were true um I wouldn't I should not have been allowed to write for you know network television writing mm-hmm. for you know cis white men for 16 years like yeah um, the key to writing is, you know, or creating is just really knowing that world and that character forwards and backwards, inside and out, you know, being able to inhabit that world. And, mm-hmm. and and this is where I have a little bit of a bias. You know, I think underrepresented groups, whether you're Black, Latino, Asian, you know, like from the LGBTQ community, like we can actually write for mainstream culture better than mainstream culture can write for us because we've had to live in their world our whole lives and they've never had to really live in ours. So, mm-hmm. you know, so when people say, well, there's a double standard, I'm like, yes, a little bit. But if there was, if there's a white guy who, you know, grew up in Taiwan and spoke Taiwanese and, you know, was raised with like a Taiwanese nanny, he would absolutely know the culture and should be able to write that story better than I can. Right. But- you know, uh, uh, traditionally in Hollywood that hasn't been the case. Like our stories were always told by these writers who, you know, had no clue about our culture or our stories and what, or what they knew came from other TV shows and movies. I completely
2: agree. I think the, the, the thing that becomes the offensive part of this, I've spent so much time in my life being part of the Asian American creative community and like all the ups and downs and like the politics and the, everything, you know, the the circus that we're inhabiting that I'm very grateful to be a part of but like makes me want to pull my hair out sometimes. (laughs) It's like, it's learning that the part that I feel offended is it's okay. Like if you're trying to write my, like what I was trying to pick apart, I'm what I'm upset about. is like, if you're trying to write my story and you're doing it with like a genuine effort and a care and a, an openness to be wrong or whatever, Yes who I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit on you for that. Like, thank you for the effort. Yeah. If there's, But it's like when someone asserts a certain level of authority that they have no right to assert, that's where I'm like, okay, sit down. And that you, I can feel it too. Like you obviously can't like interview every single person, but the way that it's executed to me, we've seen and heard so much at this point, you can feel when this is just like a broad strokes, very like lazy, representation and this was just checking a checkbox for the diversity you know bingo card or whatever right. it was right. that's where like there's a difference there's to me there's like a marked difference of somebody who's like attempted and maybe succeeded or failed and had some level of like openness or like intellect about it you know or empathy about it and then there's like the, the obvious like okay you're just a, a dumbass who's trying to like here's my token blah blah blah. <laughs> insert insert minority right no, I
1: guess, but <laughs> yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head, which is it's that it's having insight. And to me, it's also having a love, a mm-hmm. love and compassion and understanding for the culture mm-hmm. or the character that you're trying to write for. Yeah. And, you know, that the thing you're responding to. And you know, I think for for the AAPI community out here too, I, we're in an interesting part of our growth and development. Because for so long, you know, because it hasn't been that representation, it felt like all our stories had to be about, like, cultural trauma and yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, not being seen. And, you know, I don't, you don't tune into Netflix and realize I want to go watch it. I want to spend my next half hour watching a thing on, like, you know, cultural Uh, you know, generational trauma. (laughs) I want to be entertained. I want to be transported. I want to be, you know, I I want to watch something joyful and transcendent and original and fantastic. Yeah. That's kind of where I feel like our culture is in terms of finding our voice and being able to express it as a true um, reflection of our creativity and not as a depiction of how we think we're going to be perceived by outside people
2: absolutely you know, it's not like yes.
1: oh well, i'm going to write this but i have to have all this stuff so other people understand my culture like fuck that shit like just don't explain you know, don't explain just don't explain if it's funny it's fucking funny just yeah. you know, lean into it and um don't write or act or direct you know uh for an outside world just do it to crack yourself up
2: exactly i love that like it's that you you hit the nail on the head. It's like like, first of all, this is a tough industry to just like be in. And it's a blessing and, a, you know, such a cool thing to be within it. If I'm going to do this work, let me have fun while I'm doing it. And let me write things that I would be really, really like eager to pay now. Twenty yeah. dollars. It was not before. But, you know, like with twenty dollar yeah. ticket and spend two hours of my time to be transported somewhere different and be like highly entertained. Yeah. Um I yeah. I really appreciate. It. And speaking of which, like the reason why we've been able to reconnect and what I'm so excited for this summer, like beyond because I was one of the lucky ones to be at South by Southwest to watch the premiere of Joyride. Oh, my God. Like I, I there's like there's not that I don't know how to explain how liberated. I, that's the first word that came. I felt very liberated to see a bunch of ratchet ass like girls that Curse and make vulgar jokes like me and like freak out about the same things as me and are as like insane and like dealing with family stuff because it is deep. I just like I'm so excited for people to experience this finally.
1: Um, and that's what reconnected us. So I'm really happy. that. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, no, the, the crowd at South by was really tremendous. And it was one of those things where. You know, um, the writers, Cherry Uchiva, um, Chiriza Shao, who are longtime, like, friends of mine. Yeah. I, like, we, we came up with the story. We really just came up with a story that we wish we had when we were growing up. We, we wish we had in our 20s. And it was a reflection of our friendship and, a friend, and you know, our friends who are kind of disgusting. <laughs> disgusting <as fuck. laughs> And that's a version of us you never see on screen. you know, Exactly. We're, we're wrapping back to our conversation of like an outsider thing of like, oh, uh, you know, Asian women being sexualized in a certain kind of gross, disgusting way, you yeah. know, to serve as somebody else. And this is like, no, 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 we want to be like gross, disgusting, sexual Asian women on our terms. But uh, so many facets <laughs> to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a difficult time now because you know we're in the middle of the writers' strike, and so. Right. Uh, and we're in Asian month or APA HM month um, and wanting to be able to be out there and celebrate this. But at the same time, you know, maintaining a solidarity with the writers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who are negotiating against all these studios and where you know, we're really fighting for a better deal. Um, yeah. A- a fair and equitable um, structure for our creatives to be able to continue doing all the amazing work that we're doing.
2: Absolutely. So I have a
1: lot of pride in what we did, but at the same time, you know, uh, I won't be out there promoting it.
2: I will. So, like, <laughs> and I think that's where like the community aspect, this like really beautiful facet of like the culture that we're, you know, kind of second, third generation shepherding into like the American zeitgeist is really that solidarity. I mean, there comes the solidarity from being like the odd one out, right. Where like, there's a little, not a little bit, a lot of this underdog feeling of we're the ones that have been overlooked and, and underestimated and just cast aside and marginalized among so many other groups. But to feel that I think it, it builds an inherent, like, okay, then we're going to stick together. We're going to like support the hell out of each other's work because that is what's required in this insane industry to like prove your worth, which I don't know. I'm in this whole like very spiritual path of like, not proving anything. I don't want to prove shit. Like I am worthy and yes. it takes decades to get to that point. And yet, how do we step into that worthiness instead of we're going to prove to the industry? It's like, we don't have anything to prove to you, but we're going to show you how worthy we are. We're going to show you that we make good work, that we are amazing writers, that we have fun, like hilarious, provocative stories that are entertaining to anybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. And so, yeah, I'm just excited and so in awe of like what you three did with the film. And I totally stand in solidarity with the WGA. And I was telling you earlier, like I'm learning, I'm, I just premiered, you know, my first short film and I'm getting that taste of what it is to create a piece of work and to have a whole slew of people come and decide we want to make this thing that you wrote down, you wrote all these words on a page and now we're going to turn it into a piece of art is wild. Like I'm still new to that experience. Yep. And And I have so much respect.
1: And it's amazing. Well, first of all, I want to break. I want to break this down in a couple of stages. I am feeling your energy and where you are <laughs> on your spiritual quest. I, I am here for it. I think we should all be on that path. If we haven't been since the pandemic, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the second thing I want to uh, uh, talk about, which you touched on, which is this tribalism, um, and I feel like with uh, with my work. You know, and with all our work, we want. You know, I want to make it clear. Like this is not just like just for Asians, or yeah. you know, in a way. Um, and and it's not about excluding anybody. I want to put as many people under our tent. And the only the only reason truly. That we are, you know, in a tribe in Hollywood, it's because the larger society has treated us a certain way and has looked at us a certain way, depicted us a certain way, so that when you and I, even if we didn't know each other, were at an industry party and we're looking at each other, there's already a connection. And I, you know, and my like black friends will tell me like they have the same thing, you know, with with other like uh, black creators in the in the creative space, which is we understand what it's like to be talked about, you know, in a room in a certain way, how, you know, when I'm working with a white producer, and he's just like, Oh, well, if I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking of a character, I'm thinking, you know, dragon lady vi- runs a nail salon with like human trafficking in the background. Like, it sounds like oh I just fucking made that up. And like, yeah. literally, like that, you know, stuff like that gets said to you all the time. And so, you know, that's where like, you know, being part of this larger society does affect us because, Mm -hmm. you know, it. it, but in a great way, it also bonds us because we have that shared experience and we know what we're, we know what we're doing. We know what we're dealing with.
2: For Um, sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are so unknown and there's assumptions made either for better or worse, you know, there's assumptions made about how toxic and how all that bullshit plays out because it is very real. And I've, had even like it comes in so many forms, like, yeah, it can come out that blatant and like obviously offensive. And then I have heard like really like cutting, but like it's the microaggression thing, right? It's like, well, will you all and like this, these things that like insinuate things and you know what they mean, but they're not saying it in like Honestly, I, it's, we're living in a world of, of nuance now, right? The racism or the the, the othering that we've ex- been experiencing is shifting because people are more aware of it. And it takes time and it takes education and self-reflection and a lot of responsibility taking for people to actually realize, like, oh, I've been part of the problem, right? Oh, yeah. So it's not going to change overnight, but I feel like now it's a lot more nuanced of an experience too, where it's not all going to be like super obvious, like, oh, yeah, that person's being a dick
1: (laughs) exactly it's like you know you can't make a gay joke anymore and or you know as as black and white as as that um and i want to be the first to say that the young people are going to save our asses is my point of view like the you know like gen z like just the new the young people who are out there protesting and really fighting for change you know you can you hear it um in entertainment, I'm sure it's across like other industries too, where there's like old guard complaining about young guard, mm-hmm. Used to complaining about millennials who just like, they want, you know, they just want to work nine to five. What's wrong <laughs> with them. And you realize like, no, that's how things should be. Like people want to be treated with respect and have a work-life balance and not feel like they're, you know, being attacked at work. Like these are not mm-hmm. bad. It doesn't mean that like, you're being a wuss or soft and you can't measure up. Like, we, you know, we've all just been, um, raised in these abusive circles that we feel like that's normal and that we are perpetuating that abuse by expecting the younger generations to put up with that bullshit. And they're Um, not, and they're just intolerant. Intolerant. And also, you know, and I, and I think an important part of it is, you know, not just like, oh, you know, here's the problem with like, you know, white culture, or here's a problem with like, with, you know, the others. Um, it's, it's a lot to do with self-reflection of like how, you know, I grew up in, I was raised in writer's rooms in Hollywood, which were really kind of frisky and spicy and, you know, and you learn how to have a potty mouth just so you can fit in. And, you know, you, I was absolutely part of the problem, I'm sure. Mm. Um, And even now it's still like a learning curve for me, you know, in terms of like, you know, what things am I saying that are ableist, that are Mm -hmm. ordinary, that are hurtful, Mm -hmm. um, things that, you know, initially you have this gut reaction of just like, oh, Jesus Christ, we can't make a joke about that anymore. But to take like two seconds and feel like, well, is it really hurting you to not make that joke? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, who am I hurting? Um, And of course, you know, in an ideal perfect world, you know, we can joke about anything, but you know, I feel like people who say, like, you know, we, sh- um, we should be free to jo- joke about anything. Those are generally the like people who've been allowed to who've been allowed to be the bullies on the play yard.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: it's Always. It was pretty much a one way street of certain groups continually getting shat on, mm. um, not just for jokes, but like socioeconomically in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And there's also, you know, the, um, you know, the, the rule of comedy, which is like, you punch up, you don't punch down. <laughs>
2: exactly. I and mean, more people understood that because you, I, I, to me, I'm like, even if you don't understand the the um, the rules of the game, you feel it because yeah. you can feel it when you hear it. It's like that, that was at someone's, like, someone's already like not in a place to be. Yeah. yeah. They're already, and you're like at their expense. It, it feels, it feels very different. People can feel that. That's why I, I like, I can be as like, I can complain a lot or like I can be a very judgy. And, but I also do have a tremendous amount of faith in people. I get upset because I'm like, you're not that stupid. Like you're smarter yeah. than this. We're smarter than yeah. that. We have we have more sense than this. Why are we being this dumb? You know, that's like where yeah. my, some of my anger comes from because it actually is ironically from a place of like, People are aware we do have cues and we do understand if someone's feelings got not even just hurt, like decimated somebody who's already disenfranchised, getting like, you know, reamed even more. Like, why would you do that to somebody? Yeah. And that comes from that rule, like you punch up, punch down. And I also think good comedy and creativity. I was thinking I was talking about with another friend the other day, a lot of like good creativity comes from not scarcity, but from like a limitation if you will because we're talking about how like there's great comedy that's super vulgar because we, we all love that and yeah. there's great comedy that comes out of like well i'm on a network show and i can't curse or have a lot of sex mm-hmm. and violence but they find other ways to be funny right and yep. you that's creativity you just kind of like figure out another way to make a joke that isn't gonna harm somebody else you know what i mean yeah. like it's just laziness
1: yeah. at that point no i i there's love that you brought up that point because i think you know in in the beginning with writer's rooms when you know when it, it, Again, people started getting woke and then there was like the backlash against wokeness. It was just a bunch of guys going like, oh shit, we can't make jokes about it. like, you You can't say like, throw like a girl anymore and you can't, mm-hmm. you know, it was like the easy go-to things of like calling someone like a pussy, like using anything feminine to be derogatory, using yeah. it- gay to be derogatory yeah such an easy go-to in their vernacular that it was just like you were taking away a fun toy that they liked but by the way the toy wasn't even that original or funny to begin with Mm -hmm. Um, it's like just come up with come up with new material
2: (laughs) Use your creative. Aren't you the, that what you're supposed yeah. to do as a the, the creative or in, I don't know, it's just baffling. I'm so good. I love how we've gone so far and talked about so many great things. I'm just so curious about like your life too, Adele, because we were, I, I'm sure this conversation is going to go a million different places, but it's fine. We can, we'll roll with it and it's great. I'm so curious, like where did all of this fire that I adore and like, I feel like I connect with you so deeply on like, where did this come from? Because I want to know about, I love people's origin stories. I love to understand what brought you to become this powerhouse of a writer, of a creative, like, was it always in you? Did you have to like, what unleashed it? I'm curious about like where, where Adele came from, because you, you were just sharing before about how you came from Malaysia at 19. Mm -hmm. And that's always a very different journey. I'm a California girl born and raised. Like those are very different experiences, you know? Um, and like you're working like TV, because to me, again, you came into my universe as a Crazy Rich Asian. So to me, like Adele's yeah. a film, you know, in the film world. So I don't know the TV version of you. But where'd you come from? <laughs>
1: you know, came from Malaysia, born and raised uh, Southeast Asia. The food is excellent.
2: Mm, uh, highly recommend. Go.
1: Well, I, I think you know, thank you for all the kind, lovely words, you know, I, I think where you and I connect and where a lot of creatives connect to, like, particularly if you're a woman of color, like in the creative space, it's rage. Like there's, <laughs> I'm better at it now. I meditate. Rage is not good. You guys don't, don't tap into it as like a permanent form of power, but if mm-hmm. you it, it's a great launch pad. Um, and, and I don't want to blame all of it on like, you know, on racist America. But I, you know, even in Malaysia, when I was growing up, Um, In a very traditional sort of uh, family, there was always this emphasis on boys. And in my father's side of the family of, you know, like having a firstborn son of a firstborn son meant something. Mm -hmm. And my father had three girls. And that's something I remember feeling very much at like family reunions and things. And the the rage probably started there. of Uh. How dare you? How dare (laughs) you? somehow devalue me and all my, and my sisters and my female cousins that like the whole swath of us apparently are not as valuable as like the one male cousin. Like, you know, again, (sighs) these cultural details, it's not specific to Asians. Like that's you know, across the world Um, and things. So things don't have to be fair. I think where I was fortunate is that I've always known I wanted to be a writer. I think from the time I could write two sentences, I, I was writing stories and I wanted this to be my life. Wow. But growing up, you know, I, You, especially in Asia, you don't think like, oh, writing for TV and film is a vocation because it's, you know, it's hard and it's not for most people. Um, My parents were in advertising, so they thought I would be an ad copywriter. And that's how I got away with, you know, doing my last two years of college in in America. They thought like, you know, I go, I get a degree in video production or something and then go back home and, you know, like crank out commercials for Reebok. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, but what I ended up doing, um, you know, w- when I got here uh, was, you know, just being in America, being in America is amazing. And uh, I was raised on American television, mm-hmm. Love it. And in college, you know, my first boyfriend after graduation said like he was going to drive out to L.A. and find work as a writer. I was like, you can do that. What is this wow. where you get to just like pursue your dreams like there's no, you know, fallout <laughs> and uh, <laughs> consequences? no consequences? You just yeah, go Exactly. So, you know, I I did that. I, you know, jumped in a secondhand Dodge and drove out here um and got my first job as a writer's assistant on this TV show called Xena Warrior Princess.
2: Stop it. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Okay. Like,
1: zero experience, zero anything. And and by the way, just a note for all your listeners, I was also shit at networking. So didn't know the culture. I was like in the country for maybe a year and a half. Um wow. You know, it still sounded very Malaysian, spoke very, I've always spoken very fast, um, hard to understand, um, not totally up with the culture, bad at networking, no money. So like, if I could get a foothold in the industry, you can too, kids. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Be a beacon and inspiration in every way. And I also bet you were that bad, but like, this is where our own worst critic, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Wait, so where did you go to college? Where were you driving to LA from? Did I miss that? Like, you were at uh,
1: uh, Emerson College in Boston. Oh, wow. That's yep. insane. So, you drove across the country in a Dodge? Across the country in a Dodge with $300. I, it's funny. I feel like I'm a million years old, but yeah, it's, those stories are just like I had nobody yet, just like student debt. And I had a, a, a shitty apartment. In Van Nuys, I shared a bachelor apartment with my boyfriend at the time. Wow. Uh, yeah, because we had no money and we had so much student debt. And, you know, when people think about like, oh, coming to L.A. and like partying and getting, you know, I fully encourage everybody in their 20s to go out there and party because I did not. I like... <laughs> Working my ass off to pay the bills and keep the lights on and pay down my debt, so I feel like I, I feel like I started in the industry incredibly responsible and on top of it, and I'm uh-huh. just like now like completely regressing and leading my best, most hedonistic, ridiculous life. That's amazing. I
2: honestly think that's the best way because at least you're fiscally responsible and you have all the skills to like get out of it. You can maintain a hedonistic, sustainable life. That's Mm -hmm. amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, now, you know, I I spend money on stupid things and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge myself because there were all those years in my twenties where I'm like literally cutting coupons out for Arby's. Arby's people, Arby's. Like...
2: And then it's the Asian immigrant child in me, but like, I still have a great deal of pride. Not that I necessarily, I'm not like campaigning that everybody do that, but I do like, from my experience, I, I do think I get a lot of my grit from living that life, from having to live in a tiny living room, not even having my own bedroom to like doing that for years and having to cut coupons and like take a sandwich and make it become two meals. And like, Oh. I learned a lot from that. It became a skill set. Like it's also, it's, it becomes a lifestyle where you're like, I don't know how to graduate out of that because you have a scarcity mindset. That's another thing. But I do think that it created a lot of grit and also, and then like later when I have the nicer things or I can afford, like I have a lot of gratitude still for that yes. because you, you came from like, yeah, I couldn't. Subway was
1: it? Like, no. Thank you for sharing your subway story because yeah. there's enough. You, you know, uh, I felt I felt it when I was in this town in my twenties, and I think a lot of young people when they move here feel it too. Like mm-hmm. everybody else is out there doing better, having a better time, living yeah. lifestyle. And the truth of it is, a lot of us have you know really, really had to hustle and make mm-hmm. very, very little. Right. Uh, and I, and I just read this thing like, you know, Tyler today, like in social media, like Tyler Perry still has his first, you know, beat up car that he drives around in just to remind him of what he came from. So, you know, to what to your point of not being stuck in that mindset of a scarcity mindset, but using yeah. it as um, two things, as fuel, as incentive, and also as a form of, a uh, you know, as a form of appreciation for what we have now.
2: Exactly. And so when you buy whatever thing you're buying to, like, live your best life, hell yeah, like, live it up. Like, mm-hmm. You earned it. Shoot. Mm-hmm. Wait, OK, I have so many more questions, but we do need to take a really quick break. But we're going to be back. There's so much to say. I love this, Adele. We'll be love ready. it. Be <laughs> so
3: share Hey, Ramin. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah, and second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Ramin and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority.
2: Hey, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash firstofallpodcast. If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform. Or just follow me on Instagram because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support and enjoy the show. Okay, we're back. Okay. <laughs> and okay, I'm just like having this whole like playing the plot you drove with your boyfriend. That's also a bold move, I want to say, because like the whole the to me, like in all these origin stories of like, oh yeah, I came and I did this and I was pursuing a career a lot of these narratives don't include like our significant others at the time. I, I, I still have, it, be, it can be a tender thing, depending on like how that ex exists in your current life. But I have like, my exes were really, really instrumental in like those yeah. formative milestones because either they were the obstacle that I had to overcome <laughs> or they were like a fuel. Like they're the ones who like encouraged me and were there for me in like this very intimate way to like champion me, like getting out of my own freaking way and like, just like go doing it. Which category did that, that if, you, if you're open to sharing?
1: Yeah, no, by the way, I go? love where this conversation is going. I gotta tell you, like, <laughs> those times it's like, it's all about like, what's your writing process? And not so much like, you know, how did your personal relationships fuel you? But you're so right. There's such a huge part of your personal development and your journey. Yeah. And my boyfriend at the time became like my husband and now we're divorced and we had kids together. But um, And so when you talk about were they the fuel or were they an obstacle, you know, I feel like, he was both. Both. And I feel like, you know, in the, you know, in a lot of our key relationships in life, like those people are an incentive, are an inspiration, and then also become like, you know, sometimes a living hellhole you have to climb <laughs> out of. Uh, and <laughs> but I'm also, you know, it, uh, since we're talking about our journeys, I, I think I'm at the point where I don't view anything with regret. Like I don't, you know, yeah. I don't regret relationships, I don't regret like bad decisions, even like they're all, Part of that messy learning relationship, uh, filling that well of experience that we draw from. Mm-hmm. When I was in my early twenties, like trying to come up with a spec script, like I didn't know what the hell to write about.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, there's not a whole lot of damage to pull from. And the great news is, like, you don't have to go looking far from it. Life will just happen to you. Yep.
2: <laughs> it's all for the plot, guys. Is what I'm it's, saying. Like, it's no matter what, copy. <laughs> not to romanticize our most painful things but i do think like even us sitting here right that 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 i it's a good reminder it's probably the most most cliche commonplace thing to say is that like you know you live life with no no regrets and hopefully you that doesn't mean it's a life not with pain and suffering life is gonna have pain and suffering and i feel like i'm totally with you in terms of I have been through so many versions of heartbreak and stress and turmoil, but like I, right now, like I'm so thankful for every single second of it, not to be ultra cheesy about it, but I'm like, that gave me substance. It gave me wisdom. It gave me things to write about things to pull from things to be as an actor. Like those things gave me so much, as much as they, like, I feel like it took from me at the time. Cause Oh my God, yeah. did they? Like it took a lot, but it gave a lot too, you know? And that's, that's huge.
1: Oh a hundred percent and you know I, and I love how we're we're having this whole like mindfulness discussion of you know like journeying and self-love, but it's that if I could you know look at. You know, have a conversation with my younger self or like a a lot of the young people out there like trying to make it in this crazy insane world where like the deck is just stacked against you. Mm-hmm. It's just to have so much compassion for yourself yeah like this is this is this is tough what we're going through. life is tough. The world we're in is tough and mm-hmm. and people, especially women, especially Asian women, c- can be so hard on ourselves because there is such an unrealistic. Um, a set of expectations put on us from a very early age yeah what we're expected to do uh, yeah. and you know um, the the level of achievement that we're expected to hit um, right off the bat like you know how you're compared to other people's children other mm-hmm. people out you know you want to be like the kid with the shiny gold star all the time mm-hmm. and all of that like takes a huge amount of uh, it takes a huge toll on you, like physically, psychologically. Yeah. Um, I think it like, it hinders your personal development in terms of like really exploring what it is you want. What is your voice? Um, it, it stops us from being able to fuck up it stops us from being able to make mistakes and go out there and feel okay about it because you know there's just such a huge amount of shame you know built into things yep. so, yeah yeah and think- terror
2: it's just like absolute yeah. terror of like not being perfect and yeah i'm not saying that there are not expectations on everybody including you know male presenting people whatever like i've i've two brothers and it's to me I, it was an interesting thing and of, of course it's through my experience in my lens and I'm I'm lucky to be close to my brother where we we duke it out and like we hear each other's narratives like our experiences of the same people that were parents but very different parents to each yeah. of us in good and bad way pro and con you know and it's just wildly different And I was like you we keep comparing notes over time more and more in depth have more of an understanding for each other but like we grew up very differently. And I watched you be treated and have completely different expectations, some better, some worse than I did. So it's not accurate to say that it was this, we had the same parents, we had the same family, and we are very different people on top of that. And like the environment around us, besides the parents, it's like how the world, you know, as an Asian male, how the world, you know, viewed him, treated him, how the world viewed and treated me, the expectations very, very different. So it's been wild to just like have a lifelong like data set of like all these things of like, he doesn't have to be nice. Like I have to be nice. He needs to like, not fuck up. Like he's, he's expected not to burn the house down, get a good job, make money. And those are pressures and all that stuff. Right. But I have to do the same because I need to. But I also need to like be pleasing to look at. I need to be pleasant to be around. Therefore, I can't
1: have have wonderful manners at the table. Make yeah. sure everybody has a drink. Make sure everybody has a snack. Yeah, and make yeah. sure all the
2: kids are taken care of. Like that's not the boys. Like things like that. And it just x x x. So I was like, if we could catalog what those expectations are and who communicated them, how often they're communicated. Mm-hmm. They- these are very two different experiences. So yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. It's not something I want to, like, I'm not trying to keep saying over and over again so that we keep doing it. It's to like point it out, to point out the absurdity of it, how insane it is and how Ridicul- it is, ridiculous it is and how reasonable it is to be stressed the hell out about it, to be angry about it, to have that rage. It is yep. completely reasonable. Cause there are times where I would gaslight myself and be like, get, get fuck over it. And you like, why are you, you know, you're privileged, you're born in America, blah, blah, blah. You know, like make an argument against myself to yeah. talk myself out of my own anger and my own resentment and my own like falling apart. I was like, I have every right to be fucking mad. I have every right to like Want to go off steam and to want to live my life and not to have to listen to somebody else's opinion or have to cater to their convenience or their preference. Like, I have a freaking preference because it took me years to even realize what my preferences were.
1: What your, yeah, where do you want to go for dinner? What do you like, you know, yeah, how do you want this to go? It takes us, for some of us, it takes us a long time to, to get there. And also, uh, I just want us to get to the point where we just talk about how perfection is boring as shit. It's like, oh, so <laughs> you, you know, when you, even like when you're writing characters for a TV show or a movie, you know, perfect character is just like, oh, uh, you know. Oh, so true. You know, and also that's a thing, you know, that we have to deal with on, on the AAPI front because when there weren't that many roles for Asian actors, et cetera, you know, you'd have one come in and then, you, you know, on the creative side of it, there's a t- discussion of like, well, if it's our one female Asian character that, you know, that person can't be the villain. Because what are we saying about all Asian female characters? Yep. Yep. What are we, you know, like that somehow we have to be the model minority because there's on screen because there's not enough representation of us. But then that character is incredibly boring on screen. <laughs> and so that's, that's the depiction, of, you know of our culture that people have. Oh, look, you know, uh, the the best friend on screen who's like, Kate. There's nothing going on. There's nothing, nothing going behind. on. So the moral, the moral of our podcast kids is just go out there, be fucked up. Don't be perfect. Um, love yeah, it. There's the title. To scream into your pillow. Um, ask for what you want. <laughs> oh, I love you. that.
2: <laughs> and, and bring back to like the journey. So like you're working as a writer's mm-hmm. I can only yeah. imagine and like, correct me. Like I'm imagining this very long journey, especially when you're in these rooms, like, you're there to be a cog, a creative cog in a machine to deliver what studio heads and what the showrunner and you know, people that are not you. Like you're you're not the authority. You're a contributor to a different authority's whims and that's desires nice. and vision. So yeah. what was that like? Cause you went from writer's from Xena, which is what a wild first step, <laughs> to be writers and wow. And that's very, that's very like setting the stage.
1: Like she she went on the freaking show with the warrior princess. And the warrior princess. Thing. Oh, so that. yeah, yeah. To, to to completely go off track, I was watching um a documentary on the plane the other day called Girls Rising. Okay, with all these stories about you know underprivileged you know women of young girls of color around the world, like you know just like devastating like personal stories, whether it's like sexual trafficking or like you know growing up on like you know huge dumpsters, and there was this profile of this I think an Argentinian girl like whose father was growing up uh, whose family was at a coal mine and you know very little education um but her name was Senna and her father named her after Zeno warrior princess oh and so she had a warrior spirit and um became a poet and got a scholarship like you know and really her voice wow. really elevated her and you know got her you know profiled in this documentary but you know really marked her in life and i feel you know to talk about being earnest uh, for a minute, I really do believe in the power of television and, and film. Like, we joke mm-hmm. about all the time, like, it's not brain surgery, we're not saving lives. But yeah. speaking as an immigrant who learned about the world through American television, mm-hmm. like, what we do has power. Like, yeah. it's communicated, it, it is this energy that we put into our work. Um, what we're saying about our characters, how our characters carry themselves, the ideas they're expressing. Somewhere in Peru, in Argentina, there is a family watching this and like somehow absorbing that energy, yep. putting out into putting it out into the world on their end. Yeah well, but anyway, wrapping it t- to your thing of like me and writer's rooms. but yeah, I, I you know was a writer's assistant and then came up through the ranks as as a as a TV writer. And as a TV writer, I learned a lot of amazing, a lot of amazing lessons, um, had a lot of great mentors, mm. um, you know, even, even on Xena Warrior Princess, which again, you're like, oh, it's a woman in a metal bra, but the, but the relationships in there like made people cry and, mm-hmm. You know, they. Uh, I remember going Into the room of my showrunner Who was like typing up a scene He's like this older white guy who's writing the scene Where another hot blonde in a metal bra Dies, but He's crying, he's crying as he's writing That scene because he created that character And it's a meaningful scene between these two characters And so if you, you know I, I learned an important lesson On that show, which is you never have contempt For the material that you are working on mm. Never think like, you know, I am better than This material, mm. is This is like garbage for kids or for you know like never ever ever come from that point of view like you have to feel it yeah it has to be real to you because then it will be real to the audience and that's yeah. why that show um you know it, it was syndicated but it had a tremendous following of people who loved those characters and that's a that's a lesson I've always held on to
2: yeah no Xena is like iconic like I think I I personally wasn't into that kind of genre but like even with that said I I'm fully aware of how iconic Xena was and for Xena to exist and see posters and billboards and ads for Xena warrior princess that alone influenced my, you know, burgeoning strong little, you know, whatever fire hothead, Asian American girl in the middle of Silicon Valley, like totally informed that I was going to be channeling that just from commercials. Like I didn't need to watch the show. Or be a diehard fan. Yes to understand like, this is, this is, this is influential. It influenced me even from the periphery. It was, oh, it was so great.
1: Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just again, a little, like a little, like stream of energy somewhere yeah. in the world that's inspiring little girls to like carry themselves a certain way.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's so great. And I also will say, I'll back you out hundred percent. People can argue and they, they can absolutely say I was on the track to be a doctor, actually Adele, like I was studying cause I wanted to be a doctor and I was really uh-huh. passionate about it. And I also didn't think that I was like foregoing helping people by going into entertainment. It didn't feel like oh, I'm just doing like this self-serving art thing. I know how I had been saved my life in very many ways. I've been saved by like TV film and music yeah. and like. Art in general, like not feeling alone, not feeling I'm the only loser that feels this way about a boy or about being othered. Like that's why I also share a lot like how before there was any Asian-American content, I was really passionately watching like black content, like black shows and films. And that there was something there that felt so connected to the Asian-American, like proximity to that of being othered and being, you know, pushed to the margins and irrelevant and unimportant and just viewed a certain way and how to deal with that. I could resonate with that feeling, even though the experiences are completely different. Um, and so I'm so grateful to that. That's was why it's like the power of a good story. Again, transcends race. It transcends yep. gender. I was into like, I was, I love LGBTQ stories because that feeling yep. of just being suppressed and like not being able to be your true self. Like I resonate with that so much as like, again, a loud mouth Asian girl that always felt like I had to be quiet and I had to be different and be more feminine, be whatever it is that I was yeah. not being, that's wrong. I mean, that, I felt that. So again, we're just backing up the the very strong case that I think entertainment, film and TV can be as powerful in this world and like creating change and healing people. And that's why I think the fact that you're giving us space to like, like you said, like go fuck up and make mistakes and be, be messy, that's an important message. We, yeah. I don't think we hear that enough. Yeah. Wow. Go,
1: you know, be kind, be compassionate and then yeah. go fuck up and make mistakes. Just don't hurt anybody while you're out, you know, trying to try, try yeah. not to try not but, to but other, but other than that, like, yeah, just have the latitude to go out there and do some dumb things like fall in love with the wrong people. <laughs> just,
2: yeah. I, I think those things are a byproduct of like, you just have to make choices. Like you're making choices like, Hey, I'm going to pursue this. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's not going to make everybody happy. This might piss off some people and they might not even talk to me. Like I've gone since not talking to parents and like, you know, they weren't always pleased with my yeah. decisions for sure. I've yeah. you know pissed off a lot of people in my life, not intentionally, but just because I was making my life choices. Yeah.
1: No, and I, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, in this very special month for our community (laughs) about the things that are holding us back, I think part of it is also, you know, looking at a mirror. What what is it about ourselves holding us back? What is it about our culture even, Mm -hmm. you know, that's holding us back? And the common narrative with a lot of, um, you know, my friends in the creative community is this, like, having to disappoint their parents because it's not mm-hmm. just about your parents wanting something materialistic for you we know where it comes from it comes from a place of love it comes from a place of them wanting us to be secure not having to grow up in this you know very vulnerable position that they had mm-hmm. and, and as um you know and as a minority group you are a little bit more fragile and vulnerable and so i understand where that fear comes from but when we discourage our young people from pursuing something creative and risky Mm -hmm. we are kind of like holding back our whole community um, you know finding our true voices Uh, you know so again like this this is mostly like me speaking like as a parent as yeah
2: I mean, can you speak to that? Because like, I love because you're saying like you're living your best life and it's like you didn't do that in your 20s. You're doing that now. You have children. I think I asked you at the premiere. I was like, how old are your kids now? Because you do share about your experience as a mother. And again, that's another layer to the whole like, yeah, being a woman, being Asian, being a parent. And there's again, that's another whole like whole like can of worms of like expectations and like how you're supposed to conduct yourself and like what you can enjoy, what you can not enjoy to be like, you know, the sacrificial Asian mom. Right. And if you're not that, then you're not perfect. How do like people again, stay in these like narrow paths because they don't feel that freedom to be like, no, I still have opinions. I still need time for myself. I still need to like, you do have nights off with my girls, like whatever. Like, how has that been for you as you've like been a parent? Like,
1: uh, You know, I think somebody said, you know, you have two chances at childhood, which is your own childhood and when you're a parent, because you're Mm. kind of living through a lot of your childhood experiences and traumas through your kids and they're bringing up all kinds of things you didn't know. Yeah. Most of us, you know, grow up thinking like, oh, I'm going to parent it the exact opposite way I was parented. But you know, your mother and your father, your parents, are your primary inference. And you know, I've found myself saying things to my kids like things will come out of my mouth, and I'm just like, where on earth did that come from? And it came straight from my mother's where that came from. Uh, you know, and and I think the the most uh, what I found the most rewarding and uh, um, you know, fantastic about parenthood and that doesn't get celebrated enough is this, which is you know it's not about you being this paragon of perfection like you know i think i had this impression that mothers just had to be perfect and you mm. don't cry and you know you just and it's not that at all like what we're modeling for our kids is not perfection back to perfection is boring what we're modeling is just like that everything we go through is manageable like you know mm. it, like you, that you're allowed to cry, but this, this is how you pull yourself out of it. You're allowed to feel sad. You should feel sad. Yeah. And what a healthy processing of grief and sadness looks like. This is what it, it's, you know, it's not about don't feel disappointed. It's like, yes, feel disappointed. And this is how we process disappointment. And this is how we get up the next day and deal with it. Absolutely. Uh, and, and having to like teach your children how to go through that experience, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it becomes a teaching experience for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been kind of magic. Um, and also, also, you know, having um, a different kind of experience uh, and a relationship with my kids and I had with my parents. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like, I got along great with my parents. But again, it's like a different generation, a different of yeah. You know, whole different sensibility Yeah And um, and the great thing about having kids now It's like everything is changing so fast Like the, the landscape, the world Like chat GPT Like things are spinning so fucking fast and out of control And the only people are going to keep up with it Are super young kids yeah. Like it's my 10 and my 13 year olds Who are keeping me current as fuck right now <laughs> Like the tutoring you, right? They are they have they are the pulse of the nation. And I'm just like, you know, if I want to know what's going on, I just like stick my head into my my 13-year-old's room.
2: Amazing. Honestly, I feel like really lucky because in collaboration when I was in my 30s, you know, running this organization, but we're working with like 18-year-old uh volunteers. It was it was a little bit of like I was a little sad of like I'm trying to be cool, like, but it's genuinely it's intelligence, you know. If you're doing recon, you're like, okay, so what's happening? Like, because I don't know. I'm not. I'm busy trying to keep an organization afloat. I don't know everything that's happening on in mainstream culture or what the problem is. And I think that that sense of openness and curiosity is only going to serve you. Like to not shun it and look down on it and be like, oh, these children don't know. It's like, no, they know, and they know yeah. way more than you, and they know it way faster than you. It's beneficial to you to like stop judging and like being a condescending grown up and like get with their times because their yeah. times is
1: like the yeah. time. Yeah, it, it's funny because again, I grew up in Asia, and that's like I had a whole idea of what it is to be like a parent, and you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like respect for elders, which I, I'm all for respect your elders, but yeah. don't respect them to the point where like, you're putting them on an altar and you're suffocating like all that creativity and you know that awesome sort of nihilistic energy that's happening on the lower levels. Uh, they, you know, awesome. you want to want to embrace that, and, and again, I've become i've I've come out completely on the other side. Like I'm so Americanized now. <laughs> But I just, I feel like I learned so much from my, I learned so much from my kids. Yeah. Much more of a a two-way, it's so much of a two-way street and I am better off for it. Uh, You know, I think in, in the beginning I felt like, oh God, it's like, you know, you're getting the short end of the stick because like the, the, the parent-child relationship dynamic I'm used to in the old ways. It's just like that the younger generations exist purely to like serve the older generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember like, you know, in American TV, like a like a a little like blonde haired boy would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, <laughs> Mom, I need a glass of water. And I like literally didn't understand what was happening. I was like, <laughs> asking your parents to get you water, like you don't have legs, you know? Because <laughs> like, in Asia, like you know, little kids are getting their parents like drinks, like that's that's how it works.
2: They're carrying water from the well. They're the ones <laughs> you know getting it. It's like, come
1: on, come on, do your part from yeah, the well, or like you know, <laughs> like, like a cellzer from the fridge. I love and it. How did we get like off of this?
2: No, it's <laughs> fine. We we went where we were on the. It's about the journey, not the destination. But I I love. See, this is why I'm culture, infusing the culture with a di- different narrative, giving different. It's like giving other people. Insight into some other world gives them the opportunity to choose saying like, oh, there is a different way to do some things. And I do think that there's an exchange happening because I do think that I'm very defensive of Asian culture as much as like we make fun of it and have trauma from it. Totally fair. And it's reasonable. There's a lot that I'm very proud of. And I think that the picking and choosing being open and stopping so like so closed that something different is wrong. Like that's where I think it's so Stubborn and like close minded in American individuality of like this rejection of collectivism or this rejection of right. like, hey, it's actually more about the team and like what serves the population instead of just me, you yeah. know, like there needs to be an integration of that. We're not saying need to erase everything, but like, no, you you have the opportunity to pick and choose saying like, oh that i like that i like that and build a nice
1: like whatever salad if you will it doesn't have
2: to be one freaking thing that's boring
1: (laughs) i'm i'm a big fan of the collective of the collective salad you know you can you can maintain your own interesting radish (laughs) quality (laughs) and be part of a cool salad we need more of that in the world
2: see this is the best part talking with writers they take it they run with it and they make it even better um i'm really curious as we like wrap up our conversation which i hate i hate how fast like good conversations go because i'm like (laughs) i want to talk for five more hours i'm curious as we like talked about asian heritage month collectivism and like culture and how it's shifting i would say like and you can totally because i know that there's layers and and nuance to this but within within the asian american creative community Mm -hmm. we've talked about john we've talked about like how things have evolved i have certain opinions because i've been on like a community organizing side as one of the major hats that I wore for like over a decade um, worked with studios, worked with artists, done the indie thing, everything in that capacity. Now I'm really entering like this artist world. And it's, there's been a back and forth with that. And I've seen the evolution of it. Right. I've seen like the people who are like, you've been in the trenches, like in these rooms with non-Asian people being a representative. Then there's like on my side, I feel like we've, it's just been a bunch of Asian people trying to figure out how do we change, move the needle. And we're at this interesting point where there's a lot more of our stories out there. To me, there's, I guess what I want to say is like, I think that we can benefit from having opinions within our own creative community about our own stuff. Like, I guess I want to liberate myself and others. Like, we don't have to like everything.
1: Oh, I, I was wondering what, what the, the point that you were trying to get to. Yeah, I, I didn't know either. Okay. I, this is where I What we are talking about is the Asian cone of silence. Yeah, the, that. The Asian cone of silence is just that because we didn't have a lot of our own programming out there as a community mm-hmm. we couldn't talk shit about it and this goes, goes back to like as we're very polite people and so mm-hmm. we're not going to talk shit with company in the house about each other because they're already tearing us down and so we didn't tear ourselves down yeah uh, that's a form of you know us maybe coming into our own and and what true equity looks like when we can start talking shit about our <laughs> we
2: have so many things it's a liberating thing and it's a double-edged yeah. sword because that means like, oh, we're going to be honest now? Like, I, yep. with with a different lens. Like, I'll say it's honesty, yep. but yeah, it's curious like yeah. how you, it I love can, the cone of silence.
1: Well, I, you know, it, it's that I'm still, uh, like you said, you know, very protective of it because it doesn't feel like we have quite enough of a yeah. robust uh, representation in entertainment where we can like, you know, just be openly critical about our stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, we can't behind like closed doors. It's just that, you know, uh, every single one of our TV shows, movies, is like this precious little, like, dove, you know, uh, fledgling, (laughs) that you want to make it into the world, that little baby turtle who, like, may not make it back to sea before it gets picked off by the fucking gulls. And, uh, you know, but there's more of us. There are more baby turtles now. And I think think it's not about just tearing each other down and being critical of it. It's just having, you know, there's a way to have um, um, a constructive critical conversation mm-hmm. about our art form about Absolutely. You know, like not everything is fantastic for representation just because it has our faces on it uh you know there are things that you know we've talked about just like maybe this is making our whole you know make take taking representation a whole stride backwards like
2: exactly you
1: know there, there are some <laughs> yeah. things we feel like are, are like leading you know just uh i i don't know like leaning into certain stereotypes, whatever, but but the thing is it's not it's not an argument to say that they shouldn't exist. They absolutely should. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of like terrible white content out there that, you know um that exists and nobody says well it failed or it's bad because it had a white lead in a way that they feel so free to say about ours like oh that show didn't do well because it had an asian lead right don't say that about like you know if there's like a a white action movie uh, an action movie with a white star that doesn't do well we don't say like oh well action movies don't work or white leads don't work and so you know maybe it's that of like um being able to talk about our projects um you know, in those in those same terms, on like on on their value creatively versus like representation versus, um you know, our our race being the reason for the success or failure of something,
2: which is so absurd. You know what I mean? You and I know that that like the the conclusions that what people use to come to what conclusions is like this. Some of the stupidest like doesn't make any sense like how did you come to that because of this no it wasn't the fact that like xyz technically wasn't right That whatever the writing was poor whatever no it's because it was an asian person that the, like yeah we and we know that and that's why i think i feel that to outwardly i get defensive too still of like we're not we haven't i i understand the delicacy that the fragility of it still so that's like you can't they're, they're the youngsters. I've seen young people have sent me this stuff, Adele, like where they're like, they send me channels and, and critics within our own community. And these are like, not within the industry, but they're just like, oh yeah, Asian people just praise every single thing just because of representation, even if it's a piece of shit. And I was like, sometimes, yeah, because there's a lot at stake and you don't understand that and I don't expect you to, but just if you don't, just cause you don't know, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. That's what it, about
1: that. It, yes. And we just want to be encouraging of each other. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that, yes, we want you to do better. And yeah. like even within our community, you know, when you're looking at things, it's just like, yes, this is great. That's great. You're an Asian creator. But like also, what are you saying? Uh, <laughs> you know, like just yeah. like we want you to do better. Not I don't want to tear you down. Like,
2: yes. There's, oh, I love that you Absolutely. said that. Those, those yep. are very different things. Yeah. And I will say also, this is the collect. This is the, the double edged sort of the collectivism thing. Not everyone of us like like the same thing I have. I have like friends within my circle. They love the like highbrow artsy stuff. Yeah. I love like crude comedy and like fast moving things and like in and I like romance and I like I just it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I can watch something highbrow and like artsy and like slow and like I can appreciate it, but it doesn't mean like I enjoyed it that much because Mm -hmm. it's just not my cup of tea. And Mm -hmm. I also want to say that out there to liberate Asian Americans, like, you don't have to like everything. We can appreciate, respect, admire, like all those things. And you don't have to like, I just I just don't, I'm not a big sci-fi person. I'm not like into fantasy world stuff that much. If it's something really great, like Lord of the Rings, I watched it once. I don't really want to watch it again. You're like, if it has dragons, if it takes place in space, it's it's just not my (laughs) go-to. And I don't think I'm a bad person for that. Just like I'm saying, if you don't want to watch when Harry met Sally for the 80th time, that's okay. I don't think you're a bad person. Like we also need like stuff, like everyone can have their taste and it's all right. Cause that's also like, there's a tension within at least a few creatives. I know everyone gets yeah. so sensitive. They're like, Oh, well, you know, I don't really like that. I'm like, that's okay. Like I liked it. It's not going to change that. I didn't that like it. Okay. That's okay. We don't have to all be the same. So I just hope yeah you and I just liberated a whole I don't know how many people we liberated with saying those things out loud I I feel like we're just encouraging
1: people to just like be messy which is yeah just be
2: yourself like if you like this then great if you don't like it that's fine and if you you know I'm just saying just watch joy right is what I'm saying Um, I love it
1: that's that's a sub heading for like APA HM month I I, we got to get our we got to get our acronyms right man. it's like it's It's so confusing, but also like, yes, Messy (laughs) Asians, the theme for Asian month, May 2023.
2: (laughs) I'm all for it. And I didn't even realize this, but I'll say like, as I plug Joy, right. Also, I realized the short film that I premiered, which I didn't think was going to be something that became my first premiered thing that I write and star in. It is about Messy Asians. And I didn't realize like that's, that was, that was actually kind of the agenda. I was like, let's, let's see what, let's see what real people are like. That was really what I was thinking.
1: That's a guys. That's that that that's the vibe this year. Messy yeah. Asians.
2: Yeah. And messy people. Let let them be messy Asians a slash messy people. We are we're human beings. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, Adele I'm so glad we got to sit down thank you I'm sure you're so busy with just getting life and your children and learning all things living your best life I'm really honored that we got to spend this time
1: talking I love this hour Minji it's been awesome thank you so much for having me
2: thank you can I ask you three quick questions that we ask all our guests before we wrap um three lightning questions if you will Adele what are you grateful for today
1: um today i am grateful for my crutches at yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> acl surgery so i'm grateful i'm grateful for the whole medical uh, facility uh, without which um we'd all be dead
2: we are grateful for them on your behalf yes. as well thank you um what are you looking forward to
1: uh i i am i'm looking forward to my movie coming out I'm yes yes
2: july um and then uh what are the last words that you want to leave with our listeners today
1: um, you know, going back to theme, I want you to go out there and be messy. <laughs> do it for, do it, do it for America. Do it for, do it for your tribe. Do it for the community.
2: Be yes. Mad. Do it for the culture. Do it for yourself. Yes. Be messy. Yeah. And spill the tea. Let us know what happened. Um, cause I want to hear it. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much, Adele.
1: All right. Thanks, Vinji.
2: Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode with Adele Lim, writer and now director of the film Joyride coming out in July. You guys gotta check it out. Do not break the kids. It is a crazy wild ride and uh I hope you have fun. I can't I will not speak on what is your cup of tea and what you think is a good film. I had a blast. So you just spent the last whatever hour and a half hanging out with me and Adele. So you catch the vibe. If you like it, I hope you go watch it, tell your friends about it. Um, and Adele, I cannot wait to see what else you create after we have a great deal that's established after all the strikes. So it'll be great. Um, if you guys want to follow along on Adele's journey, go check out her Instagram. Handle's at Adele B. Links to everything in the description. I don't know if I'm like slurring. Honestly, my mouth hurts right now. If you can't, now I'm just drawing attention to it. Oh, I have pain as I speak. So it's a little uncomfortable, but... I'm glad we made it through this episode because it was so much fun. Um, We have a YouTube channel. If you guys want to check out the video, link again in the description. You can find all of that there. If you want to support the podcast and me, myself and I, and the team, my beloved Marvin Yue, my audio engineer producer, my producer Talon Kim, and Juliana Deer, my social media manager. If you want to support us and the show and all featured guests, go to firstofallpod.com and you'll find all the links there. My God, my mouth hurts. I think this is a sign to just like wrap it up. Um, I just like hanging out with you guys, so I, I get a little chatty. Thank you to all my Patreon patrons, by the way. I love you guys. Thank you for your support and keeping your microphone on. Appreciate you. Um, our intro is provided by Uzuhan Uzutrap, and our outro is provided by Gloria Kim, her song OMG. I found Gloria's music on the Spotify playlist for Asian Heritage Month, and I loved it. She's I'm I'm having the best time. So if you reached this far into the episode, love you. So glad you stayed. Um, and shout out to Gloria. Thank you for being an amazing featured artist this week. Do you guys have other artists that you recommend or want me to check out? Email me. First of all, pod at gmail.com. Okay, that's it. Have an amazing week. Be messy. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Serve others, and I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.
0: Hi, I'm Marvin. part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.